What I love about this episode is not that Gerard has an amazing story, but it's how God used that story without Gerard even fully realizing it. So I met Gerard a few months ago when he came to a community Bible study that uh, the church that I attend, Easton Fellowship, does every Wednesday. And that has been one of the most beautiful spaces where I've seen the expression of what God can look like in a community that I've experienced in a long time. Um, We have had so many moments of seeing God work in some beautiful ways and some difficult ways around that small table in a little room in our church office building with spaghetti and neighbors. And on one particular day, which I share in this episode, I saw an expression of the gospel that blew my mind and that I would not have been capable of in and of myself because what God did was use the story he had crafted in Gerard to position him to be able to speak truth in a genuine way to a woman who hadn't even planned to walk through the door. After we recorded, Gerard felt like he wasn't sure how the episode had gone, but what I told him was, we had prayed for the Spirit to speak and the Spirit spoke through him. Y'all, Gerard has a powerful story. But I want you to know is that Gerard wasn't necessarily looking for a story. He didn't even know the story was being written. And when he hit some low points, God was with him. God was crafting. God was writing. So no matter what you're going through in your life right now, God is crafting a story. And you don't know how God may use that story even today without you even realizing it. This is episode 27 of the Where Did You See God podcast. I am excited because I am sitting with my friend Gerard, who I've only known for a couple months. Yesterday at church, Don Coleman was preaching and he started sharing people that had stories that other people needed to hear. And he mentioned Gerard and I'm like, I need to hear more of Gerard's story. So what I'm excited about is I had no idea where this conversation is going to go, but I'm going to pray and we're going to invite the Holy Spirit in and see what the Holy Spirit does. <laughs> Father God, I want to thank you that you are God and you are good. I just thank you for the stories that you give us, and specifically Gerard, and what I already know. Um, I've I've already been uh, inspired and encouraged by the stories that I've heard from him thus far, uh, in ways that I've seen him living out um, who you're creating him to be. And so I just want to lift up this space. I pray the Holy Spirit would just guide our words, um, and that ultimately you would be glorified. Let's pray in his holy and precious name. Amen. All right, so, man, Gerard, I say let's just... Jump right in. I think that the the first kind of prompt question that comes to my mind is, um, in the times that we've talked over the last few months, you are, uh, you know God in a certain way, but that hasn't always been the case in your life. Decades ago, you knew God in a different way, I imagine. And so, tell me, tell me that story. Tell me the story of who God was to you, and how God used the story of your life to bring you to where you are today. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> hmm. That, that's a that's a that's a question. <laughs> I've always known about God. I I come from a family with 
generations of believers. But for probably the better part of my life, I'd say I'll be I'll be fifty next Thursday. So we'll say for forty years, I knew about God. I knew I knew the God that my grandmother introduced me to and my grandfather tried to live before me who my mom tried to teach me about mm-hmm. um it's kind of like let's say i a whole lot of people told me all about you mm-hmm. from their different perspectives and so i learned a lot about you but i never met you myself mm-hmm. um so i know a lot about you i know a lot about what you like what you didn't like uh you know what you did for a living and all that kind of stuff but I wouldn't really know the inner workings of who you are, or what makes you tick, or how you. I would have no personal reference mm-hmm. for you know how to engage with you, mm-hmm. and that's how it was with me and God most of my life. I, I mean, I had I had some encounters. Uh, he's, I've got tons of evidence that he's been pursuing me and preserving me mm. as long as I've been me. Yeah, <laughs> I went through things that. You know, average kids go through close tight. There was a close tight knit family, um, probably the first nine years. Um, then there came a divorce, mm. and after the divorce, there was a lot of moving around. And you know, from an adult perspective, it's like okay, you know, stuff wasn't really all that hard. But from a kid's perspective, um, very small microcosms make up your entire world. So mm. when school's not a good place. The majority of your life is not a good place. Mm. I don't want to put too much out there uh, as far as the divorce because just to yeah. cover my mother, mm-hmm. um, to honor her. But let's just say that uh, the divorce from my stepfather was, it was a traumatic experience. Mm. Um, she had to flee. But in the process, as a child, it was as if half my family died overnight. Mm. And I never saw them again. To this day, I haven't seen any of them. Mm. And these were cousins, aunts, uncles that, you know, there was no hint of treating me like a step anything. Mm. You know, they loved me. I loved them. You know, so it was, you know, and as an adult, I can look and be like, wow, that was crazy. Wow. You know. And as a kid, you don't even know how to voice that. You don't even know mm-hmm. how to explain that. Or, you know, as you're like, you hurt. Yeah. And and I bring those things up as because they were causal mm-hmm. and some things that ended up flipping my whole life upside down. Mm-hmm. Moved around a lot because my mom's job, she was actually in a field where she was in some pretty high demand. Mm-hmm. And as she was starting to gain a little notoriety in her field, they were... People just, she was being stolen from company to company mm-hmm. to company, and I was traveling along. But the what ended up happening was I was, every year I was the new kid in school. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of overlooked the, the seemingly softer traumas. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old right. kid um, who has lost half his family, doesn't have any close friends, mm-hmm. and is... Desperately seeking to fit in and to be accepted mm. and and rejection um, until very recently. Rejection has consistently just knocked me off my feet. Mm-hmm. 
you know, it's it's been the one of the biggest chinks in my armor. Mm-hmm. Age 13 was very pivotal. I begun falling in with a group. They offered friendship. I needed friendship, mm-hmm. so I, you know, hung out with them and uh, I did the things that they did because I wanted to keep the acceptance. I wanted to stay mm-hmm. inside this group. I didn't want to be outside anymore. So started off um, <clears throat> smoking a little weed, uh, drinking a little private stock. Mm-hmm. I tried that again years later. I, like, I don't know how I drank <laughs> that crap. This stuff is disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. But also there was a darker element. I know this might sound weird, but a softer criminal element, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, started off with, we would all go up to Shopper's Food Warehouse and go in and fill up a cart and then come out the mm-hmm. end door, you mm-hmm. know, and we'd fill it up with like, you know, frozen pizzas and snacks and stuff like that. And we'd all go, because we were all hanging out in this abandoned apartment mm-hmm. and, but the lights were on and the gas and stuff worked. So it was like maybe 12 or 15 of us that would, you know, just and this was in um, this was in PG County, Maryland, right outside of DC. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a drive-through Pizza Hut, and we would like sit around the corner. And then when a car would come up, after a car would leave, before the next car could come up, and they'd set the pizzas up on the window, we'd run up and grab the mm-hmm. pizzas and run. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think of myself as committing crimes. Mm-hmm. You know th- that that was just kid stuff to me. But PG County Police didn't feel that way. Mm. And then it progressed with the same crew. I progressed into a housebreaking. Mm. And again, for me, it didn't mentally register as I was committing a crime. I was just goofing around with my friends. But these were actually, here's the difference. These were, these were genuinely poor, kind of hardened kids. Mm-hmm. Whereas I was a much softer kid that lived in the same neighborhood and, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, I kind of put on the mask. You know, eventually as you do things, they start becoming part of who you are. Mm-hmm. You know, they start becoming your habit. They start becoming your, your thought pattern, your lifestyle. I mean, another part of it is also that I was not good at this. Mm-hmm. I got caught three or four times in a month period of time. Mm. My mom getting called at work to come down to the police station to get me. Mm-hmm. And the first two or three times, they actually just released me to her custody. They, you know, admonished me with warnings, didn't even charge me. Mm-hmm. The fourth time they charged me, I had to go to court and I went to a juvenile facility for three weekends called Boys Village. Mm-hmm. We were all in these little cottages watching TV and you know, playing cards and goofing. And strangely enough, it was a whole lot like summer camp from a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. a couple of years before. So it, it's, it's, it's crazy, but it's insidious mm-hmm. when you look at how I had this kind of soft serve introduction into prison and mm-hmm. crime made it seem like not such a big deal and just very gently integrated mm-hmm. itself and wove itself into my makeup. Mm-hmm. During this time, my mom was trying to get counsel as to, hey, what do I do? Mm-hmm. I don't know what to do with him. Now, at the same time that this happened, Friday nights, we had a youth service mm-hmm. and um, she would drop me off at this youth service and stuff. And, you know, 
I found the group in there that, you know, we would wait till our parents dropped us off and pulled off. And then we'd you know, <laughs> run around Northeast D.C. for a couple of hours while the service was going on, show back up in time to get picked up. Mm-hmm. It was uh, one of these nights uh, I was coming back from wherever we had ran around, run around to. And one of the ushers, you know, found me and says, hey, Pastor Petroselli, who was the youth pastor, he wants you. Mm-hmm. And my eyes got big because I'm like, Wait a minute, he's supposed to be preaching right now. I mean, <laughs> service is still going on. Why is he looking for me in the middle of... Why is the guy that's up on stage looking for me in the middle of the service? And I go in, and so there's like somewhere between 200, 300 kids, mm-hmm. you know, in the service. And I go in, and everybody's looking at me, and he's like, he's like, yeah, Jared, come up here. I'm like... Oh, man, I'm about to get in front of it. I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking he's just getting ready to like, you know, read me the riot act and uncover me in front of everybody, mm-hmm. right? And it also turns out at the time we had just finished smoking a joint, so I was mm-hmm. high as a research monkey. <laughs> <laughs> and I go up on stage, and uh, this is the first time I'd ever heard um, a prophetic word spoken specifically to me. Mm. God has a purpose for your life. He has a ministry in you that he, you know, the way he spoke it and what he said made me think, okay, well, maybe one day I'm going to be a preacher and I'm going to, you know, be a pastor of a church or something like that, you know, because in my mind, that's the only thing, that's the only way that, you know, God used you, God, you know, mm-hmm. ministry. Okay, I guess, I guess I'm going to be a preacher. Makes sense, you know. Yeah. Then he said, then he came behind that with a warning. He says, the things that you're playing with, the things that you're, Wrestling with, he says, if you don't stop, they're going to enslave you. Mm. He says, and if you don't turn to God, you're going to go to prison mm. for a long time. And if you don't humble yourself yet, then you're going to die. Mm. Looking back, I wasn't appropriately shaken. Because mm. in all my life and everything that I'd done, good, bad, ugly, nothing really bad had ever happened. Mm-hmm. And even when something bad happened, it really wasn't that bad. <laughs> so I I figured that whatever it was, this was, you know, okay, God has a ministry. Okay, this is I'm 13. He's not going to stop. This is something for when I'm an adult, mm-hmm. you know. And so I really didn't pay any heed. It was less than a year before I was addicted to cocaine. Mm. And... Again, the route that it was brought to me was through a route of of trust. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even in the streets. Uh, it was my father. Mm. Because the counsel of the church to my mother was he needs a man in his life. Mm. And somehow my mom kind of might have forgot why she left my dad in the first place mm. when I was two. Let's just say he was in L.A. in the 60s, mm-hmm. and he was attached to the black entertainment community down there with Motown. Mm-hmm. So, you know, anybody do the history, they know what was going on down there then, you know, mm-hmm. it was a lot of partying. Yeah. And um, this wasn't my mom's scene, so she took me and came home. Well, in those 13 years, my, my dad hadn't changed much. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to color this by saying that um, although it seems outrageous, that a man would introduce his 14-year-old son to crack. Mm-hmm. 
when I look at it through the lens of my father's eyes and the way he saw it, and even with the conversation that I've had that I had with him before he died, I was already smoking weed, I was already drinking. And he figured that I was gonna get there anyway, and he just said, if you're gonna do it, I want you to do it in a house where you're safe. Mm. So he was actually trying to love me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. wow, you know, and I'm glad God let me see that because it it made it really easy for me to forgive. Mm. You know, because I understood that I do know that my dad loved me. Because mm-hmm. my interaction with him when I was there, you know, he was he was always good to me. He always he was you know, he he was in the weirdest ways, he was always there for me. Yeah. Um and it was also a comfort because I also realized that he, he didn't abandon me. Him, mm-hmm. him and my mom just couldn't live together and he was not safe to be around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's where it started right there. Uh, that's uh, the prophecy began to fulfill itself. Mm-hmm. Um, at 17, I kind of had enough of what was going on in California because this was all in San, because this all happened in San Francisco. Mm. Um, I'd had enough of California. I came home where for a while I was safe because I didn't know anything about um, the drug life here. Mm-hmm. I didn't know where to find it. I didn't know who was involved. I didn't, you know, have any connection to it whatsoever. So, this became a safe place, and for um, a few months before I went into the Navy, because that's what I ended up doing, mm-hmm. for a few months before I ended up, before I went into the Navy, um, I was actually able to um, come to myself a little bit mm. and reclaim some, some modicum of control over my life. 1988, I went into the Navy. I loved it. It was great. But there were some behaviors that had attached themselves to me that because it's it's not just the drugs. Yeah. I was also a liar and a thief and a few other things, but primarily a liar and a thief. Mm-hmm. Violated the most sacred trust in the, you know, in the military. I stole from my shipmates. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that just wasn't tolerated. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't last long. Mm. You know, I barely made it a year. Mm. I think I look back on that with the greatest regret because to this day, um, the military, military personnel, military service means a lot to me. I respect it quite a mm-hmm. bit. Um, and in fact, um, since then on the other side, I've tried to serve in other ways by, um, like, I even like one year, I... Adopted a soldier, mm. in, you mm-hmm. know, in Afghanistan, just to to send yeah. them stuff and write them and stuff like that. And I guess it's because I look up to them so much because what they're doing is what I wanted to do so badly. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I think I would have stayed in twenty, thirty years if I would have had the opportunity. Yeah. Well, I had the opportunity if I would have understood the opportunity <laughs> and embraced the opportunity. Mm-hmm. But during the time that I did serve, it was some of the best time of my life, and I made some really good friends and I actually did get a chance to do some pretty wonderful things. Mm. I've always had a problem with assuming the worst. Mm. 
when I came home with an other than honorable discharge, I was like, okay, my life is over. I can't get a job. I can't do anything. So I assumed that there were opportunities closed to me that weren't closed mm-hmm. to me. Um, and I, I truly think that the, the enemy fostered that mindset in me to keep me from gaining any traction because mm-hmm. um, it wasn't very long after I got out of the military that drugs resurfaced, mm-hmm. uh, street life resurfaced, crime resurfaced. And I got out in 1989 and I was in prison by the end of 1990. I turned 21 in the penitentiary. Mm. Lorton Penitentiary in Washington, D.C. I I served time in four different states altogether, twenty five years, um, and that's an estimate because you know, like I, I, like county jails, I have no idea how much time I've done in county jails because mm-hmm. there were a lot of little skid bids in between two. Two months here, thirty days here. A lot of those little skid bits in there, and mm-hmm. then there were two years here, three years here, uh, five years with four and a half suspended here, and then violate probation and go back and get the rest of the four years. And mm-hmm. Just I, 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 I did life on layaway, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, on the installment plan. Um, Maryland, D.C., Georgia, and Virginia. Like I've been on a tour of the nation's prison mm-hmm. system, mm-hmm. and because of that, I could never really gain. I'm, I'm still feeling the effects. Like right now, I've got, I've got eight, eight and a half years of experience as an electrician, but no journeyman's card. Mm-hmm. Um, at my age, I should be you know, in supervisory positions and things like that. You know. Mm-hmm. And I have the ability and the intelligence and actually have the education now to do it. But I don't have the consistent work record. But in the midst of all that, (laughs) really, this is for me, it's like proof that God is the source, that God is sufficient. Because somehow I still make journeyman money. (laughs) Um, When I get on a job and I'm in a new experience and something that I'm not quite sure about, it's funny because people say, you know, you should, you know, the Holy Spirit needs to interpret the Bible. You know, as you, when you're reading the Bible, you know, you need to, you know, to ask, you know, ask God for wisdom and interpretation and the Holy Spirit will reveal it to you. Mm-hmm. Come to find out that the Holy Spirit will also reveal algebra. The Holy Spirit <laughs> will also reveal electrical issues. I mean, I, they, they, it's, it's like... He does. He really does want to be involved and is mm-hmm. available to be involved in all aspects of life. And I guess that brings me to the part of where I, where I started having a relationship with God mm-hmm. on my own, mm-hmm. where it was no longer my grandmother's God that I knew, but my own God. Mm-hmm. And that was that started in 2007 in Fairfax County Jail. I was in the hole. And I was on my way to prison and I was frustrated and I was like, you know what, God, there's something wrong with my relationship with you, something wrong with my Christianity, period, because I am trying everything that I think that I know and nothing is working. So apparently what I know is not right or not enough. And so I kind of like 
asked him for a clean slate. I was like, look, you know, let's just throw away everything that I think I know about you. And I'm going to assume that everything I know about you is wrong, except for the fact that you love me and Jesus is your son and he died for my mm-hmm. sins and that he rose and that, you know, the, 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 the basics of, 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 of what we, the, the root and foundation of what we believe. Mm-hmm. Had really wasn't thinking about, you know, like what Paul says about building on the foundation, which is Christ. Mm-hmm. But basically what it was, I had this old rickety piece together house that was part of this house and mm-hmm. that person's house and this person's house all built on the foundation because... My, my 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 submission to God at ten and asking Jesus to come into my heart and be my savior at ten years old that was real mm-hmm. so that foundation was real it was solid it was true so then I had thrown up every i i put all these structures that I borrowed from other people's houses and tried to piece it together into my own house mm-hmm. and then I was like all right uh let's just knock this house down mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And start again. And um, it was funny because they're very, very strict. Fairfax County Jail is one of the strictest. Let's put it this way. The guards run that jail. Mm. And they run it with a very firm and, if necessary, violent fist. Mm. (laughs) All right. In the whole, when you're on disciplinary, you are allowed... One book. Hmm. They allowed me to keep three: a Bible and three commentaries. One was on Philippians. Hmm. Uh, it was it was Philippians, First Corinthians, and I can't remember the other one because I really just read the one on First Corinthians a lot. Hmm. And I did a lot of praying. And what I hoped was going to happen didn't happen. I thought that I was just going to come and have some transformative experience and I was going to right. come out just this new, stronger, more, you know, new and improved, you know, mm-hmm. but no, it, it's been a slow and hard, mm-hmm. but steady process. I have a relationship with God mm-hmm. where I am now, especially today, especially in these last couple of months is really come into a wonderful understanding of how much God really loves me mm-hmm. in spite of me. Mm-hmm. I think, I don't want to say that I'm sure because there's always some last little vestige that needs to be rooted out, but I think that the whole meriting God's love thing has finally been mm. torn down in me. Mm. That there's no such thing as meriting God's love. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't. You don't. It, it's not performance. There's yeah. nothing performance based here, and it's it's funny because you know, like Leslie was talking about a little bit last night. You know, um, about how our culture, our culture is so non-conducive to knowing and loving and serving God. Mm-hmm. You know, America. This is a meritocracy. You you get what you earn. You you know you you. Mm-hmm. you and and you know, you're rewarded for performance. Mm-hmm. And there's some of that that's good. I'm sorry. I'm not a participa- participation trophy guy. Mm-hmm. You know, because that, to me, that tells your kids that <laughs> all you got to do is show up and you're going to get something. Mm-hmm. You know, when, and then they show up to a job and they're like, well, how come I didn't get a raise? How come I didn't get a promotion? Because mm-hmm. you just showed up. The other guy actually did something. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> but with God, that's not the case. And mm. what I'm seeing now really is that when when God's people 
are really sincere about emulating him, that that becomes them too. Because mm-hmm. in fact, quite recently, I earned I earned some pretty good judgment and rejection. Mm. Nobody seems to want to give it to me. <laughs> mm. You know? Mm-hmm. In fact, everybody is like adamant that, no, oh, dude, we see who you are. Mm-hmm. Come on, get up and keep on walking. We're with you. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I'll go ahead and be a little more transparent because I'm, I'm trying to get over that fear. Mm. Especially when you end up talking to a larger group because the, 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 the group that I'm tight with, the house church and... Chris and, and Pastor Don and, 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 and Dan, you know, and Duke, you know, I have learned firsthand that their love for me has nothing to do with, you know, my performance mm-hmm. or whether I measure up to the good Christian today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know everybody in the church isn't like that. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think collectively we're trying and largely succeeding but there's that little bit of fear in me because I am actually used to when I fall wallets and purses get mm-hmm. hidden and watched and of course nobody's going to leave me alone in their house mm-hmm. understandably don't get me wrong I mean mm-hmm. it, it's it's good common sense when you're dealing with someone who wrestles with addiction mm-hmm. especially one that's you know Fresh off a relapse. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm about 30 days off a relapse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> After nine years. You know. Yeah. Caught me. Blindsided me out of the blue. I, I learned something about deliverance. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, I am delivered. God did deliver me. And if I could just lay it out. how What my history has been being released. Because I've been released from prison like eight times. Mm-hmm. This is very different than before. Mm-hmm. Even this relapse was nothing like before. Mm-hmm. And I know that's because of God and because of deliverance. Mm-hmm. But what I did forget is that my flesh is still tied to this world. Mm-hmm. And that it still remembers things. And if allowed in the right situation, it will want. Mm-hmm. And counter to that, not very long before the relapse happened, God had brought a young woman into my life that was just amazing. Mm-hmm. And then he promptly you know, told me, she's for you, but if you're going to lead her, bro, we got to get closer. Mm-hmm. You need to be on your face and on your knees a whole lot more mm-hmm. to walk with and lead my daughter mm-hmm. I put it off mm. I agreed I meant to <laughs> you know I, I just allowed life to distract me from the source of life mm-hmm. and if I had responded to that because I mean, if I ask God will even make the time mm-hmm. he'll set the time he'll make the appointment he'll, mm-hmm. he'll, he'll, he'll make it happen if I had submitted to that then, when, when, when the Holy Spirit told me, you know, that this was, you know, that this was a requirement that came with this gift, mm-hmm. when that temptation came, mm-hmm. I would have swatted that thing like a bug. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
because not only would it, it wouldn't have just been about her and about me being a husband and leader for her. It would it would have been a it would have had me in a in a position of strength and and, and, and alignment mm-hmm. with God. Mm-hmm. And my flesh wouldn't have stood a chance. Yeah. God never does this one thing, <laughs> you know, and. I'm grateful because on the other side of it, the wisdom that he imparted to me. Thursday, God made the time available Mm -hmm. and uh, I showed up and I worshiped and I prayed and I got on my face and Mm -hmm. I got in the word and I didn't do it Friday, but then I did it Saturday Mm -hmm. and I did it Sunday. And then this morning uh, I met with the guys over on, uh, we meet over on 4th Street, uh, over North Side in this little park to pray. Mm My vertical relationship is strengthening. Pastor Don introduced me to uh, a kickstart material that Doug wrote. It's been really helpful to me because uh, I've never been good with that vertical relationship. I mean, he's been doing in the background what I was unable to do for myself. Because, mm. and, mm. and Pastor Don pointed out to me the other day because we were in the process of talking about something and I was like, yeah, and, 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 and I was like, blah, 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 blah. But well, because the word says such and such and such and such and such. And then um, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and blah, because <laughs> because the word says such and such and such and yeah. such and such. And then at one point, he says, pause for a minute. He says, you might not know the addresses, but the word is in you. Mm. He says, and in fact, the word is your reason for everything that you believe, because everything that you're saying, you're grounding your basis of fact mm-hmm. in, because the word says. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I definitely didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so who God is to me now is still nowhere near what I want to know. I'm comfortable enough to say I know God. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I know God. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, I do. But now, yeah, I want to be. I want to be where Paul would come looking to eradicate the church. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I want to be one of the houses he would come to. I felt a shift yesterday. Mm -hmm. I'm still feeling it. I felt a shift. I want my conversations and my actions to be very intentionally about Christ. Mm -hmm. Because I want to be one of the places that Paul would look. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I feel... Who God was and who God is to, I guess, to finally wrap all this around to answering the question is, uh, yeah, God has, God has pursued me and poured His love out on me to a degree that it is finally you know, softening my stony heart mm. and piercing my thick skull with some wisdom mm. and opening my blind eyes with mercy and compassion actually first for myself. Yeah. Because I realized that I've I've been horrible to myself. I've been harsh on myself. I, I was quick to call myself a piece of crap. Mm-hmm. And a little bit, not quite some nice words. Yeah. But, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it was like, I didn't always vocalize it, but I was always, you know, in my heart and in my head, I was always like, what did you expect? You're a piece of crap. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know? Of course you're going to lose. Of course you're going to fall. Of course you're, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's really sad how 
easy that is to embrace. Mm -hmm. I mean, even in the face of wanting to be more, even in the face of understanding that you could be. There's a passage of scripture that I don't know who gave it to me or how well God gave it to me. I I don't know exactly Mm -hmm. what vessel he used, but it's Ezekiel and it's uh, chapter 36 and starts around verse 17. It goes to the end of the chapter. And I don't know why. It was a time when when, when I was learning Somebody was coming in teaching a Bible study in one of the prisons, mm-hmm. and they were like, you know, you got to personalize this word. You know, where it says, you know, like, where it says the nation of Israel, put your name there. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, and, 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 and it goes like, uh, okay. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, when the house of Israel, when the house of Gerard, Lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Mm. Their ways before me were like the uncleanness of a woman in her menstrual impurity. So I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood they had shed in the land, for the idols which they had def- with which they had defiled it. I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed through countries in accordance with their ways and deeds, and I judged them. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name, and that people said of them, these are the people of the Lord. And yet they had to go out of his land. And I thought about, you know, all those years. I mean, as far as I was concerned, I was always a Christian. But, you know, you couldn't tell it to look at me. Hmm. And it's just where I was. But God had concern for my holy name, which the house of Gerard had profaned among the nations which he came. Therefore, say to the house of Gerard, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations in which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean from all your uncleanness and all your idols. I will cleanse and from all your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put in you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanness, and I will summon the grain to make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant, that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and for your abominations. It's not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Gerard. Thus says the Lord God, on that day I will cleanse you from all your iniquities. I will cause the cities to be inhabited, and the waste places shall be rebuilt, and the land that was desolate shall be tilled instead of being in desolation, as it was in the sight of all who passed by. And they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste and the desolate ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. 
Then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord. I have spoken it and I will do it. Mm. It was 1996 mm-hmm. when I first got that. And I've watched it play out. You know, I've been mindful of it. I've actually been able to track myself through it. Mm. And I'm in the place of being rebuilt and restored. And I was actually getting really excited when I was getting ready to come home from prison because mm-hmm. I knew where I was in this. And I knew, I said, okay, it's about to get good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it doesn't mean I'm going to win every fight. Mm-hmm. But what has happened is I've been given so much more faith. Mm. Now I, I, I even kind of dare towards expectation, not, but not because of me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like there was a judgment of garnishment um, against my bank account recently. And in the last two weeks, they, they took $1,200 from me. Part of the money was supposed to buy my car um, and saving towards um, moving out of Leslie and Boyd's into a, you know, mm-hmm. into a place. Mm-hmm. Initially, I was like, what? <laughs> Man, it, 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 it blew me. It, it hurt. Mm-hmm. But not far on the heels of that, I was like, I was, it was so easy to find my gratitude because I was like, whew, I'm in the best possible place for this to be happening to me right now. <laughs> I mean, I mean, nobody wants to just lose twelve hundred bucks, but I mean, at the same time, it's almost like a like an ineffective blow because it's like I've got a family that has put a roof over my head, and they're not going to let me be hungry. Mm-hmm. And they've made their resource and their lives available to my life in a way that I never seen. And I'm also grateful because, like, you know, like I heard Pastor Don yesterday, he was like, I want to give honor to who honor is due. He's like talking with him. I know one house they go to is Leslie and Boyd's. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Paul would go to Leslie and Boyd's. And, and yes, mm-hmm. he would. But I've gotten a chance to see behind the curtain because I don't just see them on Sunday. Right. You know, and I see the, the time that they give to the Lord, you know. And so now I have another example of what it takes to have that that, that relationship with God that allows your light to shine to where people would honor you. Mm-hmm. And, and God says that he will cause people to honor you. And, 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 and that's, that's, that's word, that's scripture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and oh, Leslie hates it when people, <laughs> point, you know, just you point out anything good she does. No, 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 yeah. no, no, no. You know, and yeah. um, I do want to take a moment and. Go ahead and honor God and let whoever listens know really where, how far down and deep he had to reach to get me. Something else that I had experienced that I didn't even remember until a couple of years ago. Mm. And my mother never really spoke on it, but it may have even had some reason to do with the divorce. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I was also, my my stepfather also molested me when I was like six or seven years old. Mm. And it hit me from more than one angle because there was also a neighbor during that same period that molested me. Mm. I'm actually you know, grateful to God because he, before he let me remember, he had already prepared my heart through a whole nother episode of something that I dealt with with another guy that uh, 
my first thought when I I woke up at two o'clock in the morning, I sat up and I was like, whoa. I remember that when my stepfather was teaching me how to take a shower, mm-hmm. you know, I remember what he did while we were in the shower. And my first thought was, man, who did that to him? Mm-hmm. And I felt compassion for the victim that he was at some point. Mm-hmm. And you know, that was definitely God because I immediately I was like, God, I forgive him. Mm-hmm. I forgive him. And it's the weirdest thing because I could see him right now and I would just want to hug him, man, because I don't have any animosity towards him whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And I know that's God because <laughs> it doesn't make any sense otherwise. Right. In the depths of my addiction, I didn't just steal. You know, I didn't just rob people. I prostituted. But I, I look back and I look and see how all these things were tied together. And I ain't gonna lie, it's it's hard for me to share that, especially not knowing who's going to hear it. Mm-hmm, <laughs> I mm-hmm. share that because I just want someone to understand that, you know, sin will always take you further with than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you wanted to stay and it'll cost you more than you wanted to pay. Mm-hmm. It'll do things to you that you never imagined you would do. Mm-hmm. But despite the most shameful, hurtful, whatever, that the love of God and the desire of God for me, mm-hmm. for you, for that, that his desire is so much greater. His love is so much more. And, and you know what? The blood of Jesus is enough for him. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to let it be enough for me too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who am I to gain? If the blood of Christ is enough for him, who am I to not let it be enough for mm-hmm. me? But what I love is, I mean, there, I mean, even in what you shared, there's just so much, you know, you shared about how rejection was, was such a part of your life for, for so long. And yet God never rejected you. Mm-hmm. And, and not only did he not reject you, the deeper you went, the deeper he reached. And, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, even like, yeah, you know, that, that verse you shared, which, you know, someone could listen to it and, and find it as a hard thing where God's basically saying, I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing this for the sake of my name, which is like, but I thought God loved me. But like this, this is the the holiness and power of God is that he deserves everything from us. And, and we fail, fail to do that. But but he doesn't like he doesn't owe us a thing. No. That's that's the power of God. Like that he has every right to to do things for the sake of his name and not for us but he's also a good god and so even when we don't deserve it he still meets us and provides and like human intellect could say like you could look at your life and make make a long list of why you don't deserve a single thing and yet god is giving you a roof giving you a family giving you a community but what i love about for the sake of his name is it's he didn't do that so that Gerard could be comfortable. Yeah, yeah you mentioned earlier Don saying give honor where honors due. In the, you know, 12 years or so that I've been a part of Easton Fellowship, one of my my favorite moments, one of the moments where I saw God most clearly involve you. And and I'm not going to get into the full story now, but you know, you were just sharing that part of your story includes drugs, included prostitution, included one day we're at Bible study and a young lady, mm-hmm. who we'll call her Annie, walked in and 
very quickly, um, you know, she said that she saw something about Bible and she just wanted prayer. And, you know, we welcomed her and she sat down and very quickly she, she got into her story of eight years serving time of crack addiction, of prostitution. And I was supposed to lead Bible study that day. (laughs) And I had this sense that God was saying, you know, get some things together, but hold it loosely. And he had shown before that sometimes he could totally change things up. But it became quickly clear to me that it was not going to be me running Bible study that day. As far as I'm concerned, God ran Bible study, but but you you were in, in the driver's seat in a way that... I know blessed Annie, but blessed me as well, because as she shared how, I mean, it was clear how little she thought about herself, mm-hmm. how little hope she had for her future. Mm-hmm. And yet she was there. I mean, she admitted she was high. She admitted like, but she, she was somehow in that room. Yeah. And what happened was, I remember there's a moment where you just stopped and you looked at her and I, and I swear it looked like there were some tears welling up in your eyes and like, you spoke words that made it clear that you saw her yeah. and that you knew that God saw her, that God loved her. I, I'll, I'll venture to say it was the most powerful expression of the gospel that I had seen present. Like I've known, I've seen evangelism happen all the time, but that moment was, was such a clear picture of what it means to actually communicate God's love to another from a place where you're not doing it to check up a box because you were doing it and you said this to her because you had been there. <laughs> you're like, I know what you're sharing. I know what you're saying. And, and here's what I love about it is like, even in me saying this, there's probably something in your mind like saying, that wasn't me. Like, I'm not, you know, cause like, and that's the beautiful thing is that I knew that that it wasn't you. It was God in you. It was the spirit in you coming out in that moment because you had made yourself available, not just in that space in that day, but in your story of meeting God and coming back to God. And as a result, this woman got an introduction to the true God. She had been to plenty of churches, had asked for things before, but she met God in that space in a way that she did not anticipate. And so I, I wanted to share that because you, you started this saying that somebody pulled you aside, uh, you know, that youth pastor and said, God has a ministry for you. But if you don't <laughs> check yourself, you're going to have... But it's amazing to see what, what God can do with ease, even the messiest things, because God used what we would, you know, you could say are the worst parts of your story that you wish you could get rid of. Mm. In that moment, God used them in the most beautiful way that I've ever seen. You know, things that the world and the church would use to disqualify you from ministry, you were leading that Bible study. And that whole Bible study, before she arrived, you were talking about how you had this passion, this desire to create a ministry to serve those who were coming out of prison and who were finding themselves in a place where they just, they, they aren't seen, they aren't cared for, they aren't supported. And while the world would say, well, why don't you write up your plan, this, that, and the other, which you've got some plans. But what God said is, watch this. I'm going to make you do your ministry right here, right now. She walks in the door and you minister her wow. to her in a powerful, loving, genuine way gave her a hug and who knows when the last time she was hugged like that like in a real genuine i'm hugging you because i care for you hug and so i just wanted to say all that because you know i've been i've been thinking about that moment uh, a lot but it it, what it shows me is that's the power the goodness the love of god Mm -hmm. that even with your story god is is making himself known and god isn't disregarding your story even he's taking he says i'm taking all of you 
and I'm bringing all of you back for the sake of my name, mm. <laughs> which is yeah. Okay, thank you for that. <laughs> no, I, every now and then I get these little moments where there's been a couple of times I've been asked to say something here or do something there, and mm-hmm. and I just always hope for God to show up instead mm-hmm. of me because mm-hmm. it's and then it happens. Because I'll find myself saying things that I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember one time I was actually teaching something. And while I'm teaching, I was like, wow, that's kind of cool. I didn't know that. Because mm-hmm. it wasn't me talking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there came a mm-hmm. point where I, I got to stop talking. Mm. I appreciate that God can take this train wreck. Because <laughs> mm. I've, I've, I've prayed quite a few times Mostly in like the last year, year and a half. Like, you know, God, if you can do something with this, if you can use me, then it it, mm-hmm. it makes everything that I feel like I lost mm-hmm. not a loss. Mm-hmm. And it makes everything that I went through worth it. Yeah. And in fact, I'm, I'm so happy that you actually colored that for me because I really, I didn't see it that way. Mm. when you color that for me like that it's like okay wow you know that, that's pretty cool and I'm glad that he used me to do it mm-hmm. yeah. I'm glad I got to be a part of that I just hope that I hope that he will give me the grace to not try and go and duplicate it that I'll just <laughs> be thinking it probably works best if I just stay out the way and let him do what he does and just mm-hmm. like you said you know be available yeah because I, I, I I'm a I'm, <laughs> I'm afraid of what'll happen to it if I put my hands on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Oswald Chambers wrote this book called My mm. Most Forest Highest. Oh, Forest Highest, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you've, yeah. Been, you've been with Boyd and Les. So. Well, actually, I was introduced to that by a guy named James in prison mm. a long time ago. He introduced me to that book. Yeah. Well, this morning I was reading uh, My Most Forest Highest, and there's a piece in there that I think speaks to what you were just saying about this idea of like, we want to serve God. Sometimes if we see that a certain way that's fruitful, like you said, you don't want to just replicate it because you know that it's not you and it's yeah. God. And so Oswald Chambers is talking about how, you know, we need to take every thought captive, but that also means our plans and our processes. And he mm-hmm. says, practical work for Christians is greatly overemphasized today. And the saints who are bringing every thought and project into captivity are criticized and told that they are not determined and that they lack zeal for God or zeal for the souls of others. But true determination and zeal are found in obeying God, not in the inclination to serve him that arises from our own undisciplined human nature. It is inconceivable, but true nonetheless, that saints are not bringing every thought into captivity, but are simply doing work for God that has been instigated by their own human nature and has not been made spiritual through the term and discipline. And basically, I mean, he's hitting it. I hear you, buddy. Uh, He's hitting at the fact that we kind of just do our own things and say we're doing in the name of God when what God does, he doesn't want us to do things. Mm-hmm. He wants us to seek him and put another way, something that came to mind as you were talking, God's not looking for us to be right. He's looking for us to be his. And that sounds like that's the journey that you're on is for so much of your life, it was about being right or put another way is that you were wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and God's like, I'm not looking for you to fix this, that, or the other, or to, I'm looking for you just to come back to me. Yeah, there was a lot of that. Oh, man, I remember so much of me trying to be a Christian was that me trying to be a Christian, trying mm. to be good. 
And it's funny, right? Because uh, the, the, the word speaks that say our righteousness is as filthy rags. Mm-hmm. But I remember all the times that I was like, okay, I felt like I made it through. Okay, mm-hmm. I feel like I had a pretty good day today. You know, mm-hmm. I felt like a Christian today, you know, mm-hmm. and then, you know, tomorrow. And then, you know, if I look back at it, if I could really see my thoughts and my heart and my intentions that day is probably black and blood soaked. Mm-hmm. And there's some intentional things we can do, but then there's, like you said, just the intention of submission. Mm-hmm. Just the intention of submission and obedience. And then he shows up and he does something. Yeah. You know, and sometimes you don't even realize he showed up yeah. and done something. Like when I read that, when I read what you wrote about that, you know, was it Scene Annie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I read that, I was like, wow. Yeah. That was it's pretty cool. <laughs> and it's funny, right? Because my immediate feeling wasn't like, oh, I did that. Mm-hmm. My immediate feeling was, oh, I was there. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I was there. That. I was there. I, I, I saw that. Yeah. And, and then hearing you talk about it again, it's like, I'd like for more of that to happen. Mm-hmm. Knowing, you know, the wisdom of the Holy Spirit coming right on the heels of that and saying, mm-hmm. okay, just don't try to do it yourself. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. I found a verse that I think wraps it up well. Philippians two twelve through thirteen. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. And what I love about that is it it hits that <laughs> that issue we have with well, is it God that does it? What does that mean? I don't do anything. Well, but I mean, shouldn't I do some things? It's saying because it's out of obedience that we continue to work this out, but with fear and trembling, because like you said, it's not us, so we don't know what we're doing. Uh, it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And that's that's it. Like, we just keep on walking in obedience. We keep on being willing to serve where, where God throws things in front of us, even if we don't know what's happening or even that something's happening mm-hmm. and know that God is working in stuff that we may not even realize, but it's powerful beyond measure. edited this episode, it was hard for me to know what I was going to say here at the end because there is so much that Gerard shared that I felt like deserved to be highlighted. But instead, as I prayed just now, what came to my mind is that I needed to highlight Gerard himself because Gerard is a new creation. That day at Bible study, when he spoke such beautiful truth and love to Annie, One of the things that I couldn't escape thinking about was the fact that I was the one that was supposed to be leading me with a religion and Christian ministries degree with over a decade in that church who had been to that Bible study for the four or five months prior since it had started. I was the one that was supposed to be leading that day. And when I came in with my plans ready to go, the whiteboard, which I needed, was completely filled. And I thought, I actually need it today. How am I going to do it? And I felt like God was saying, I'm actually the one leading. Thank you for your obedience and preparing, but I've got something else in store. And the one who actually led Bible study is someone that not just the world, but so many in the church would not have put in the leadership role. 
someone who has experienced crack addiction, someone who has experienced prostitution, someone who has experienced 25 years in jail. Someone like Gerard is, is someone that so many people would say can't lead in the church. And yet, I just sat back in awe and said very little that day because such amazing, beautiful, powerful truth came from his mouth. And as I prayed and thought about what the world would say about who he was and who he thought he was, this is what God was saying. And it comes from 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ, though we once regarded Gerard in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And Gerard, I can say this without a doubt in my mind, is an ambassador of Christ, who is going forward with the ministry of reconciliation. He brought that ministry of reconciliation to Annie that day, and he has a desire to continue to bring that ministry of reconciliation to people who have had experiences and stories like his that he knows are so often neglected, forgotten, or unsupported. Y'all, Gerard is an ambassador of Christ, and if you are in Christ, you are too. No matter how deep your pit has gone, no matter how dark your story has gotten, because God was reconciling himself to the world in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. You are a new creation, and you don't have to wait till tomorrow to live into what that means. You don't have to wait till tomorrow to experience the work of the Spirit within and through you. Today, you can bring that ministry of reconciliation because God first brought it to you. And so wherever you are, thank God right now for the new creation that he is making you and invite him to let you live into that new creation today. Anything in you that's barring that, tell it to go. And as you live out this new creation life, ask yourself, where did you see God? Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash Where Did You See God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of their music. So check them out. 
And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?